Our gospel lesson today is from John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given you from above. Therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king, they cried out. Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no priest, no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's Gospel reading, the final Gospel reading of our Witnesses to Christ sermon series, truly has it all. It's got dramatic scale. As you go back and forth from the the roar of the crowd and the cries of the chief priests to the quiet of Pilate's chambers. This gospel reading has tension. It it has quotable one-liners. What is truth? Behold the man! And it certainly has philosophical gravitas. I think one of the best things that this gospel brings to the table, though, for the movie crowd, is Pilate. Pontius Pilate. The the focus of the last witness to Christ that we talk about today is It's just a compelling, complex villain 
And in so being the compelling and, and complex villain that he is, he's just the perfect foil for the hero of the story, Jesus. Now, it might be surprising for me to call Pilate, to, to say this about Pilate, but what really makes Pilate so, so compelling is that he's so relatable. Maybe you don't think of Pilate as terribly relatable. I mean, he's governor of Judea and, and I am a pastor. Those are, those are two very different things. But I think John wants us to, to relate to Pilate in many ways here, and not just because our culture, postmodern as it is, loves to join him in asking that what is truth question. No. Pilate is relatable on a much deeper and more fundamental level. And to understand what I mean, I think you need a little bit of background on this man from 2,000 years ago. See, according to a Latin inscription found in 1961 on the Mediterranean coast, Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea for 10 years. 10 years he was, he was in Judea, 26 to 36 AD. And though governor is a relatively powerful, certainly a prestigious position, one which Pilate probably was very proud of, it probably earned him a good amount of, of class cachet. Well, Pilate, unfortunately, or, well, from his perspective, maybe, he was middle class. He grew up that way, at least. He was an average guy who just so happened to rise through the ranks to power. Not because he worked hard or had earned it somehow in grand military conquest, no. The reason Pilate was where he was is he married well. He married very well. Pilate married a woman named Claudia Procula and for those who aren't Roman historians, Claudia Procula was the granddaughter of the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. Married very well indeed. And because he was married so well, he had this family connection, Pilate got a position that he never otherwise would have received as a middle class man, no matter what he did. <laughs> Remember this little detail about Pilate as the story unfolds, because it does help to understand his humble beginnings as we see the intrigue and the political tensions mount. See, on the night of Jesus' arrest, Jesus is standing before Annas and Caiaphas and a whole host of Jewish officials that are called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are kind of like the Jewish equivalent of our Supreme Court. They, make, they decide the interpretation of the law and they decide the fate of many. And so Jesus is here before the Sanhedrin accused of blasphemy. And blasphemy is punishable by death. But the Sanhedrin have a problem. See, by law the Jews are allowed to condemn a man to death. They're allowed to do that but they're not allowed to carry it out. They can say you deserve to die, but if they actually want to see you dead, they need help. They need, well, they need consent. Whose consent? 
Pilate. Pilate, the governor of Judea, is the one who has to consent to the death sentence that is brought forward by the Sanhedrin. And so without delay, after they've had their trial of Jesus, fair or not, they bring Jesus before Pilate. They bring him right there in front of, Je- in front of Pilate's headquarters. They call Pilate out at six o'clock in the morning, refusing to go into his house because if they go in, they're gonna be defiled. And so they've gotta be outside the, the Gentile's house and they demand Pilate come out to them because there's now a mob. And in case you didn't know, Pilate didn't much like the Sanhedrin probably didn't help that they called him out of his house at six in the morning. But the chief priests have Jesus right where they want him. They have Pilate right where they want him. Pilate starts off with a few, well, routine questions. What's this man done? What, why are you getting me up at six in the morning? What accusation do you have against him? And the Jews, for their part, they don't answer directly. They hem and they haw and they, they give half answers because there's no Roman law against blasphemy. If they come to Pilate and say, Jesus has blasphemed, Pilate will wave them away. He doesn't care about the Jewish laws at all. And Pilate gets more and more exasperated as they dodge the answer, dodge the question of what Jesus has done. So he cuts straight to the point and he brings Jesus inside. There, if you remember, Jesus is presumably defiled by being in the home of a Gentile. And Pilate gets right to the point. The Jews might not have been willing to give him an answer, but Pilate is connected. He understands what's going on. And he asks Jesus the relevant question, the question the Jews want him to ask. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Now, the important thing for Pilate is the word king. King for the Jews means Messiah. It's religious just as much as it's political. But for Pilate and for the Romans, the only thing that mattered about a king is that they're military leaders, revolutionaries, a problem. Now Jesus' answer to Pilate is very interesting because Jesus says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And in so doing, Jesus basically says, yes, I am a king. I have a kingdom, but it's not of this world. Jesus' otherworldly kingdom seems to be that seems to me Jesus is saying might be a kingdom. I might be a king, but it's not a threat to Rome. Don't worry about it. So the chief priests wanted to trick Pilate into thinking that Jesus was a problem, but well, they couldn't. They couldn't quite communicate it. And as they couldn't quite communicate it, they also couldn't quite convince Pilate that Jesus was an actually dangerous revolutionary political leader. And so their plan, to a great extent, doesn't work. And Jesus jumps in to give the next answer, even before Pilate's asked the question. Because Pilate is probably standing there asking in his head, if your kingdom is somewhere else, then why are you here? 
Well, Jesus tells Pilate, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Now, at this point, you have to imagine that Pilate is a little bit confused, but he cynically responds to Jesus, what is truth? And I think to a certain degree, Pilate is asking the question we usually associate, but he's also asking, what does truth have to do with everything we're talking about now? I don't understand. And Pilate certainly doesn't seem to understand, but there is something that Pilate walks away from this exchange with, something that Pilate just can't get away from in his head. Jesus has gotten under Pilate's skin, gotten in his head, and Pilate, no matter how many times he tries to shake off the claims of the Sanhedrin, no matter how many times he tries to shake off this interaction with Jesus, he can't forget this random man who's been brought to his chambers at six o'clock in the morning. In this world where truth is whatever's convenient and politics is power, to hear a man say they're going to bring a true kingdom, maybe to Pilate that sounded nice, sounded appealing, sounded so, well, whatever the case, Pilate doesn't seem to have time for it. He tries again and again and again. We heard that in in our reading. Again and again and again to release Jesus, to convince the Jews not to crucify him, to get them to let him go, but the Jews insist again and again. And as the tension in this movie mounts, as the drama rises, they threaten Pilate subtly. They threaten him subtly because again, they have Pilate right where they want him. They say to Pilate, if you release this man, you are no friend to Caesar. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And though they haven't spoken a threat very clearly, Pilate hears it quite clearly. He knows exactly what they're implying. For Tiberius Caesar was not his grandfather-in-law. The current Caesar was not only sick physically, but worse, he was suspicious. He was violent. He was always merciless with his underlings. He was known for being a ruthless leader. This Caesar wouldn't like to get news about a riot in Judea, wouldn't like to get news about the failures of a man who had been placed there by his predecessor because of family connections. Well, to put it bluntly, in this moment, the Jews blackmail Pilate. They blackmail him. And if Pilate had a choice, Jesus would, he would have let Jesus go. Maybe he would have, like Herod did with John the Baptist, kept them around because Pilate seems to like talking with Jesus. But the Jews didn't give Pilate a choice. And so Pilate goes out to the Jews 
caught in their blackmail and says, shall I crucify your king? And they reply, we have no king but Caesar. You know, people will do many things to save their job, their status, their reputation, especially to save their skin from a fearful, control-obsessed emperor. Pilate might have wanted to do the right thing, but he found himself in the difficult position of either putting his neck on the line or looking the other way. He couldn't bring himself to give up his job, his status, or his reputation for this Jesus who he barely knew, even if he knew deep down that it was right, that Jesus was innocent, that he might even be who he says he is, even if he couldn't shake that picture of the man standing before him and the beauty of the kingdom of truth, which he promised. So why is Pilate relatable? It's not because we've ever married the daughter of Caesar or been governor of Judea. The reason Pilate is relatable is because we've all had those moments in our lives, those painful and difficult moments of pressure from the outside that lead us to ask that question, do I do the right thing here or the easy thing? Do do I do the right thing here or or the thing that'll help my career? How about, do I do the right thing here or the thing that makes me popular or simply the thing that will benefit me the most or won't get me into trouble? What what do I do here? And, And maybe more than we care to admit, we've all had those moments where we've given in to the pressure of others to do that popular thing rather than the right thing like Pilate here does with the Jews. Maybe we've even done it with our faith. Do you know Jesus? Maybe I'll be quiet this time. Will you speak up about Jesus? Identify him for who he is? Or will you let the crowd yell, crucify him? Get rid of him. He's inconvenient. See, Pilate had climbed the ladder of success. He knew the moral compromises and sacrifices he had made to get where he was. The people he'd stepped on and over to reach the top, the people he'd left behind, the things he had done to appease the corrupt will of people below him and people above him. But the great tragedy of it all is that Jesus was nothing like Pontius Pilate. Pilate barely deserved his position of power or the respect he was shown in that position of power, yet it was given to him freely. And yet we know that Jesus deserved all power and all authority, and yet his power and his authority were denied him and stripped from him such that he was beaten and mocked. Pilate, for his part, he refused to place his neck on the line for a clearly innocent man 
Whereas Jesus places his neck on the line willingly for guilty people who don't deserve it and who are crying out with loud voices, crucify him and questioning him. And though Pilate is unwilling to do the right thing, Jesus did the right thing every time. Why is Pilate relatable? Well, because we too, as we say in the creed, have led Jesus to suffer. We might not just say he's suffered under Pontius Pilate, but that he suffered under me. We are equally the villains of this story for the sin in our lives, heavy as it weighs in our hearts, and as difficult as it is to run from. We don't deserve what Jesus has done, and yet Jesus sticks his neck out for us. He takes that sin. He does the right thing, even though it hurts, even though it's unpopular, even though the world is screaming against him. Jesus does the right thing, the very best thing, the thing which redefines love itself to give us the villains, a happy ending. The happy ending to the greatest story ever told. It's far more than a movie. It is the very truth of God and our world. And so may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this Christ Jesus, hero and Lord. Amen.